what's the story, as they'd say in Drada. How's everyone getting on? Good, I hope. Uh, now, the reason I've started off in a Drada accent because I've been thinking a lot about Drada recently, and today's guests from Drada. There's been a couple of Drada coincidences actually stacked up in the last couple of, well, the last week or two. The, the most recent one is uh, today. I was I was listening to the Blind Boy podcast. And like he's he's gas crack anyway, but the start of this episode, he does this poem. So Blind Boy is a guy from Leitrim. For anyone who doesn't know, he's a guy from Leitrim. Uh, he was part of a like a comedy song group that were <laughs> kind of cult famous for the different videos and 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 comedy songs. But they've kind of got a bit of a serious side to them as well, and. Anyway, Blind Boy has this podcast where he kind of has hot takes and stuff, and he often kind of goes off on these weird kind of uh, made-up stories, which are fantastic. Anyway, this one that I listened to today started off with uh, a poem, allegedly from Pierce Brosnan, and people always say, ah, oh, Pierce Brosnan, he's from Drada, which of course, I think he's actually from Navin, I think he was just born in Drada. But, so Blind Boy has quite a strong Limerick accent, right? And quite proud of that. And he's like, it's funny listening to him starting to rip into the Jada accent. Going, geez, it's a queer accent. I don't think I, he's kind of saying I don't. He doesn't be. He doesn't think he'd be able to uh, to pull it off or do it himself. And he said, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like people from Jada are constantly talking with their mouth full of water. And then he goes on to demonstrate it. So I was out hanging up the wash and I was pissing myself laughing at this <laughs> it's classic the other thing that has reminded me of so um we had a new patreon come on board just a couple of weeks ago um Brian and apparently me and Brian would have been in the same year so when I did high school I did or secondary school I did what's called TYO which is you do first second third then you do your um, junior cert and then normally you go into fifth, sixth and there's no fourth, but there's an option to do TYO. So when I was, what age are you then, like 15, 16, I said to hell with it, I'll, I'll do TYO. Now, there was two options. There was TYO 1, which focused on, oh, trans- and that's transition year. One and transition year two, so TYO, transition year option. Who knows? Anyway, it was TYO one, TYO two. TYO one was pitched towards the more academically minded student that was coming out of doing the junior cert. So these lads were doing um, like business, and there was another like it was it was much more definitely focused on the admin, sorry not admin on the academia side of what they may become outside of school TYO2 was focused on lads that are going to be working with their hands so this is an all boys school and when we when I decided to go into TYO like I didn't really think I was going to be a a hands-on kind of person I knew the year would do me well and kind of just slow me down after doing the junior cert anyhow I ended up in TYO2 which it was like the mint year. There was a, a select handful in that in that year, and we caused havoc. I mean, we caused havoc. 
And in fact, so much havoc that that was the last year that they ever had a TYO2 in that school. Uh, I might have to tell you some more stories going on. Anyhow, so as we went through school, I went into then fifth and then sixth, which for me, like I knew the lads that I come up through TYO2 with, like so they were still in my, my year, but then I'm in with the, like the younger year. So it was this weird mix. So this lad, Brian, who became a patron, he re- he'd heard one episode where I mentioned Johada and he said, geez, if you if you lived in Metaview, you must have went to St. Mary's. And I said, oh, I did. I would have left around like 1998. And he came back and was like, oh, yeah, um, I, I remember the, um, was that the year with the the blow up sex doll and the condoms in the, <laughs> in the school hall? And I was like, oh, my God, that was me. I did that. <laughs> it was totally me complete brought me back to our uh like your leaving week so the week before you leave school and as all students all over the world do they have this like mock-up and we we did our bet to make sure that we went down in a bang so it was myself Niall Murray Anthony Maroney I'm pretty sure Kevin Smith maybe um Spud Murphy Paul I know it was definitely us. I know it was um, it was Niall Murray who who got the sex doll, and like it wasn't like a, a life size life size proper sex doll, but it was like a I don't know maybe maybe say between a foot and a half, two foot long, and uh, I think like wearing like a little black dress and stuff, and we we took that and we went down. So where the school is, it's up on the on the south side of Drogheda, up the top of the huge hill. So at lunchtime, like four or five of us went, ran down, all the way down the steps, over the river, up Shop Street. And at the top of Shop Street, there used to be a florist just um, across from the tonsil there on, on um, Lawrence Street. And we go in there and we've already bought a 12-pack of condoms. We have to get the sex doll and we asked the florist to fill it all up with helium. We've sellotaped all these opened up black bin liners together so she she looks at us like all right lads so she blows up the the sex doll with the um with the helium and then proceeds to fill up 12 condoms and we have them all on these black sacks and like i think like what so that year is 98 our condoms would have been legal by then anyhow it was still kind of like pretty mad us young even young lads having condoms to to get them blown up anyway we got all these condoms they're running the black sacks and now we have to try and make it all the way back up to the school with 12 helium filled condoms and a sex doll all tied to to each other so we're all got a corner each we make it all the way now if anyone's been to Jordan, you'll know these steps that lead up out to the south so we make it up these steps all the way into the school we walk down into the assembly hall. It's a it's a pretty much a brand new building at this stage. I think maybe it's only two years old, and we walk right into the middle of the assembly hall. Assembly hall. It's lunch, so there's kids everywhere, and we just take the black bag and we pull it apart, and we all just run in different directions. Well, the twelve condoms with the sex doll float to the ceiling of this. So it's double story building, huge, float right up into the rafters. The place erupts in laughter. It's just like the funniest thing ever. The big thing is, it was the mass. So at the end of high school, 
or secondary school, they have kind of like they have a mass to say good luck to the to the students that are doing their exams, and that night was the night where the big mass was going to be on. I can't remember the reason it was going to be it was going to be held in the assembly hall, and was the big the bishop was coming. It was a big deal, and uh, I think everyone knew at that stage that you know you got the you got a sex doll and condoms sitting up on top of the roof, hanging back down, looking over everyone. The chairs may have been getting set up, but my favourite vision of all this, I can still see it as clear as day, is so you walk in these doors, so you walk and bring it in, and you walk in the front door. So when you walk in, straight in front of you, there's steps that lead up. And that can lead you up into classrooms. And then the rest of the hall would be down to your right. All right, that's the big expanse down there. So picture this. If you're standing at the door and you're looking up, the caretaker had got, I don't know, maybe three or four broom handles. They're all gaff taped together with like a pin or a pointy thing on the end of it. He's at the top of these stairs, reaching out over the rest of the assembly hall, trying to bust these balloons. I remember seeing that and walking away going, this is just brilliant like one of the best so suffice to say i didn't go to the mass i had no intention of going to the mass that night but uh i think they got them all down in the uh, in the end so that's another Johada coincidence and then the, the last one is today's guest is a Johada man so uh myself and ender have been trying to organize this interview now for it's almost a year i'm pretty sure yeah it's april last year that we started having a conversation about it and um, back then, uh, and I was still putting together the Songs of the Last Convict Ship project, which is a kind of a radio um, piece, radio documentary on the last convict ship that left from Britain to Australia to Western Australia and the the songs that were, were sang on board because there was a whole lot of uh, Fenian prisoners on there. And apparently there was a whole lot of concerts and Enda uh, has did this fantastic radio documentary about what songs were sang on there, where the people were from. One of the people on the ship was actually from Drogheda, which again is very, very interesting. Um, Enda has been living in Sydney for a long, long time, longer than, longer than I have and uh, longer than I've been in Australia and has been involved uh, in the, the Gaelic club up there and the Irish community and the Irish music community up there um, quite, quite actively in, in that time. So it was really great to be able to have him on. It's a bit of a different um, format than normal, which is, you know, you got to experiment with these things. So uh, what we've done is I've, we've taken the songs that were used for the radio program and we've got permission from Ender's mates that perform the songs too and everyone that's involved to use them in here. So Ender won't be performing live during this. We'll be listening to pre-recorded um, songs. And there's another few, couple of little treats in there as well. Right, so with all that said about Drogheda, let's have a listen to two Drogheda men have a chat. Uh, before that, I'll do the weekly call out for people to become patrons. Uh, if you are, if this is your first episode, like I always feel weird doing the intros where we go off and tell a bit of a yarn because, you know, I know a lot of you are here for the interview and sorry that we don't just get straight into it, but I just want to kind of set the tone before we get into these interviews. So when it comes to Patreon, what, what is Patreon? So Patreon is a site that allows people to pretty much become subscribers. So for example, if you were to go onto Patreon, there's different tiers, right? And 
we had them set out like two dollars four dollars ten dollars and what that means is you pick whatever tier you want to support us at and from the date going forward from then every time there's an episode it's essentially you chip in a few dollars to help us make the episode you know be made and pay us for the work that, that we um we do um we had a couple of new um patrons actually we had one new patron last week so um hey gone john thanks for that um what we want is a few people out there that you know have the means to chip in if there's a few people that can chip in each week then that means we can let this go out to thousands of people for free so if you can chip in not only you being sound to us you're being sound to you know all those other people that just don't have the means to to be chipping in at the moment so uh, not only do we really appreciate your help in supporting us and believing in the project and, and keeping it going but all those people that just can't afford to do it or haven't got the means to do it they benefit from you becoming a patron as well uh if you think this is the week that you're going to take the plunge please do it this week that'll be fantastic head over to patreon.com balarney pilgrims right let's get into this chat with Endemori. enjoy And uh, Murray, welcome to the Bellarney Pilgrims podcast. How are you? Very well, Darren. Very well, thank you. So, what did we just listen to? So, we just listened to O'Neill's March. Um, I like this song. Um, it's got a, a good uh, vibe to it. Um, I like it for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, it's an old song. 
and um, the uh, uh, the song tells a story, and it's from a time and a place, and 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 um, uh, it's a song that has moved with the times, and so I like the the way the guys uh, did it there, um, Jacqueline and 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 Pele, um, and um, and I like the 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 way that Martin Carl did it in in his most recent recording. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 a song that's. I don't know. Maybe um, uh, it's about the the the, the O'Neills up in in, in Donegal, and and um, uh, it's been around for probably two hundred, at least two hundred fifty years, um, and it's still going. And that's something I really like about um, Irish trad. So, and I think you and I, I was actually just going back through our emails, and you and I started talking in April last year. So it's been what's that, nine, ten months in in the making for this setup. So back then you were finishing off the um, the convict ship project, the convict ship concert project. Was this, was the O'Neill's March recorded for that? That's right, yeah. So um, the, the songs of the last convict ship um, was a, a, a radio doc for um, ABC um, in Australia and... Um, I came across this story. the the um, The last convict ship that came to Australia in 1867 actually had um, 62 Fenian prisoners on board, and um, to entertain themselves, they had five concerts. and I found the set lists from the the concerts, and uh, along with a um, a lot of enthusiastic musicians here in Sydney, we re-recorded uh, the 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 songs, and. Um, uh, told the story of the um, Fenians, particularly uh, John Boyle O'Reilly, um, who was from my hometown of Drada, your hometown of Drada, and mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, and, and, and um, that was a, a, a really enjoyable project, um, tracing the, the the music and um, uh, yeah, really getting you know finding out my own um, uh, for myself some some facts about these these songs and and um looking at maybe from a academic kind of ethnomusicology why why they sang the particular songs that they did and of, co- of course some of them were like O'Neill's march were were military marching songs because they were military guys they'd been in in the Fenian revolution in 1867 but um there were there were other um, love songs. There was the last rose of summer, which um, uh, is is uh, a song that my my mum used to sing on the uh, on the on the piano. Um, yeah, right. And um, uh, so songs of of loss, songs of love, and um, uh, songs to to keep the spirits up, which is pretty much what we were doing most of last year, singing songs <laughs> to keep our spirits up. Yeah. So. Th- did, were you able to kind of find out um, how, like, because it kind of, it, it feels like a contradiction, right, to be having concerts on a convict ship. Did, yes. Like, could, yes. Could you, was, were, you, were you able to kind of find out how that came about, particularly then like Fenian? Yes. Because it, was a, it, was, it would have been a British ship, right? Absolutely. So um, uh, the Hugomont was the ship. Um, I suppose... I was like a lot of people when I heard about convict ships, you know, that I, I, was, I had a vision, vision of coffin ships and that the two were pretty similar. Mm. And, and the, the first ships that 
came out to Australia was shocking. And, um, you know, they had a lot of uh, sick people and people died on the way. It was a three-month uh, journey. Um, but by 1867, um, there was a lot of um, argument in Australia. Um, they had stopped uh, bringing convicts uh, to New South Wales in, in 1850. You know, there was the anti-slavery lobby and, and you know, a lot of um, enlightened people. So... Um, by 1867, the uh, ships were um, it, 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 they were contracted um, uh, on the basis of how many uh, live and healthy people they delivered to sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, to Australia, and so conditions had improved quite a bit. There was actually one um, uh, Irishman died, not a, a Fenian, uh, on the journey, and one baby was born, and huh. that and that woman lived until 1945 i believe um so um so yeah the the, the captain provided the paper the the guys on the hugamont they also um got together and um wrote what they called a newspaper they called it the wild goose um and uh, they they wrote stories on a, a sheet of paper and every uh, then every saturday night they'd all gather together and read out the stories um so they um they were industrious uh people they they wanted to keep busy and they were they were very creative people. Um, so yeah, I w- I was surprised to hear, hear that they had um, organised concerts. But then, um, it, it, it uh, uh, also when you think about it, it, doesn't really surprise you when you get a you know sixty um, guys together and um, they're, um, they're they're going to want to raise the spirits and they're going to want to sing the songs that they all know. So. Um, that was how it happened. So then, this then might be a, a simple question, or maybe not. the The idea that you'd be having concerts, and the idea that you've got these um, Fenians on on this British ship as well. With the did you get an indication that there was still the Fenians were still um, like there was a bit of celebratory or a bit of What's the word? I'm kind of thinking like you still. Yes, you've been you're convicted and you've been sent away, but you'd still have a lot of pride in in what had happened. Was there a sense of that? Oh yeah, um, they 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 were um, unreconstructed. Um, they uh, were very adamant about the um, uh, what the things that they were doing and that they were Irish patriots. And um, in a way, it's it often um, seems a bit sentimental, um, but they they talked a lot about Aaron, and there was also uh, quite a bit about. Um, you know, the kind of, um, I can't class some kind of songs that the Christian brothers taught us, you know, the minstrel boy and, um, uh, you know, blood on the harp. There was a, a lot of this kind of um, almost martyrdom, um, blood sacrifice kind of stuff. And um, they, you know, within five years, um, uh, the, the uh, last of the convicts had escaped from, Australia. So they, they certainly, uh, and John Boyle O'Reilly himself had, had gone to America within a year of a, a, arriving in Australia. He had escaped also. Um, so they went to America and they continued their revolutionary ideals. So um, mm-hmm. they, they certainly weren't um, uh, <laughs> reformed um, by, by the yeah, yeah. British judi- judicial system. So then, did the newspaper give any indication of was there any animosity between the 
the British uh, convicts and the and and the Irish. Um, the um, the the ship had uh, something like two hundred and fifty, and most most of them were uh, British convicts, and the Irish. Um, uh, they, they, uh, John Boyle O'Reilly on several occasions called them common criminals and um, they uh, initially were very scared of these common criminals they were the, pretty much the, the, the dregs of, of, of London um, uh, mm. and they looked down upon them because these um, the Irish guys were, were educated liter- li- literate and literary men um, uh, whereas the, a lot of the English guys were pretty rough characters who had done things like kill their uh, mothers. Um, like they, they, the Irish wrote about them in the newspapers. Um, um, uh, to begin with, they they were scared of them, but by the end of the, the journey, they were making fun of them. Um, and part of the um, uh, the, the anger of the Irish guys was when 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 they actually got to um, uh, Fremantle, um, the uh, the Irish were regarded as really dangerous, whereas um, the the English criminals um, were not regarded as as dangerous by the by the locals. I suppose, you know, they were radicalized political. Um, activists and, and revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. So if you could imagine, you know, a boat full of, of um, ISIS uh, coming to Australia in this day and age, there's probably something around this, along the same lines. There was a lot of um, panic in um, uh, Fremantle and in Perth when, this, when, when they heard this boat was coming. Um, and the Irish were yeah, wow. a, a little aggravated because they considered themselves to be, um, you know, civilised men, and uh, they, they were really aggro when they, when they, the English convicts got a kind of better treatment. And in, on the actual ship, um, there's a rec- uh, John Boyle O'Reilly um, talks about um, one of the soldiers uh, loaning a trumpet to uh, a, 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 um, a, a Fenian. And um, uh, the the the, um, uh, the 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 Fenian played um, the song, which was the marching song of the the Seventh Cavalry, the Gary Owen. Um, so um, the 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 actual soldiers um, on on the ship, there didn't seem to be a lot of um, conflict on on the ship. It was almost as though um, the soldiers acknowledged that these guys had. Um, uh, genuine um, uh, grievances, and because they were, uh, polit- uh, you know, the political prisoners, um, sure, yeah. they um, uh, thought that this was, you know, uh, 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 fair enough. Um, so, yeah, that 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 was a, a, a I suppose, uh, an incident that happened that I, I that uh, made me think. Well, maybe the, uh, the the soldiers didn't seem to have too much. A problem with the prisoners. You mentioned. Um, what, did you say a trombone? Is that what it was? Say again. What was the What was the instrument you just mentioned? Oh, a trumpet. A trumpet. Yeah. What, what? What? Did I read somewhere else? There was. There wasn't many instruments. So, what? What instruments were on? on yes. the Ship. So, um, there was a a, a trumpet, a guitar, uh, sorry, a, a, a banjo, and a whistle. Um, no, uh, so no, there weren't many instruments on on board. Do you know where the instruments came from? 
Well, um, it, it was common for migrants to bring um, instruments with them if they were if they were um, players because um, it could maybe earn them a, a buck or two, um, but um, they were. Um, performers, they were, you know, they were, they, they, they would have. Um, uh, some of them, the guys would have brought their their instruments because they were treasured possessions. And uh, yeah. but it, it, no, it doesn't specify actually who. Uh, it, it, so I was working from diaries, diaries of um, uh, John Boyle O'Reilly, and there were two other yeah. prisoners had had diaries. Um, so. I don't. I don't imagine they they mentioned how many strings are on that banjo. <laughs> no, but funnily enough, um, one of the songs um, which was sung by um, uh, Annie Carlin, or Mary Carlin, in, in uh, from from just north of Drada, from the Hill of Rat, um, is an um, an American shucking song, corn shucking song. So uh, I've used that recording on the uh, documentary, um, and. Um, the, uh, the the song had come from the deep south uh, uh, of America, um, and w- this was something that I was really interested in. Where you know, of course, they're singing O'Neill's March and 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 Ned of the Hill, but also they had um, a, a, um, a corn shucking song from America. So I was interested in how this song may have travelled. Uh, I was also interested in in the banjo, and I thought maybe this was the first banjo. That had come to Australia, uh, but no, the the, um, uh, the 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 song uh, had come through the um, minstrels. So the 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 the, the um, black and white minstrels, the, the the who were white performers who put on who put on blackface, um, were very popular in first of all America in the, around the eighteen fifties. Um, and they then became popular in music hall in uh, England, and um, they are recorded as having played in uh, uh, the goldfields in um, mm-hmm. the Australian goldfields in in the early you know the gold rush eighteen fifty two down in in Victoria, um, and this and the, the these guys were the people who brought the first banjos. But it's very it's a bit sad to know that um, even back in eighteen fifty. Uh, this idea of blackface and and pretty much making fun of black people was uh, you know a form of entertainment um but um that but the, the music itself apparently was was the pop music of the time too it was like it wasn't like it just not like the the blackface element of it obviously is is apparent but i i, I can never get over how popular the music was because like I, I play five string banjo i actually think i picked up a a minstrel banjo from that period the other day um it's it's busting and needs a lot of work but it's a it's a very interesting time and i, I think the um that's why straight away i asked like i wonder how many strings are on that banjo because i knew how popular minstrel music had become in in england and the, the five string banjo and the six string banjo over there and the i always kind of wonder why with the popularity of it in America and England, why the five-string banjo didn't? Uh, I know it was popular here, but it didn't. It didn't really hook in the same as it did in the states and it did in in Europe. 
Yep. Like, particularly in England, because England, I think England kind of did, did their own twist on things and, and started doing a lot of with, with um, six string banjos and so on. But um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I keep I keep my eye out for kind of old banjos all the time. And then I, I'd been I'd been in Melbourne for the day, and I come back home and I jumped on Facebook, and uh, yeah, here's a like a, a to my eye look like a a late 1800s minstrel banjo fretless the skin had it busted on it but i knew if it was fixable i could fix that and i was thinking this must be somewhere in america and you know facebook's got the the wrong algorithm and the things i'm in the states or i've got my vpn switched on or something but nah it was uh about a seven minute drive away from my house and your your man was just looking for a hundred bucks for it so i snapped it up anyway i, I digress so with, with the um with the radio program, so that's all finished and has been released at this stage. And I, I had listened to it and I, and I loved it. Where can people find that? Oh, they can find it on um, ABC website. Um, so it, the the title is uh, "Songs of the Last Convict Ship," and it's on ABC Radio National on the um, History Listen strand. Um, but if you Google "Songs of the Last Convict Ship," I'm sure you'll you'll find it. Perfect. I'll stick a link in the in the show notes as well, so anyone listening can just go there too. Um, before I, we hear another tune from, I do just want to ask about the the players in the, the that that are, that you had played the music for you as well. So, when the project was coming about and you were looking at it from an academic perspective, when did the when did the music and actually recreating the the songs come into it? Um. Oh no, uh, I have to think back. Um, prob- prob- did you know? Did you know this was something you were going to do with the with the music, or like when did you have that penny drop moment? Um, I, uh, I I'm very interested in this story. So this this story has been going around in my head for. Um, I know um, that I got one of the songs in uh, Ireland in 2008 outside the um, Augustinian church at my mother's funeral. Um, one of the guys from the Vice Squad um, gave me the lyrics for Eamon um, Nick Net of the Hill. So it's, it's been going at least 13 years. I've been um, thinking, writing um, different proposals for this uh, project. I, 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 I suppose um, Irish music in Australia is something that I've been um, really interested in. So um, it's just finding a way to um, uh, put that into a, a program that um, somebody might be interested to commission and um, uh, probably um, around uh, two and a half years ago I uh, started thinking about a um, uh, radio program, so that was where the where, where the idea uh, came about. I suppose um, also, uh, yeah, um, also thought about it, performing it as a show. Um, that it, you know, it, it could make a, a show that could go to festivals. Um, these are yeah, these, these are great really. ideas that I have in my head <laughs> that they usually stay in my head. So then when did you get the um, the other players involved? Um, probably, um, uh, probably about twelve months ago in um, in Sydney. So I'm a big um, uh, fan of, of uh, Irish music and uh, um, be, 
uh, involved with the Irish um, cultural scene in Sydney. So um, big uh, attender at the uh, session in the Gaelic Club in Sydney, which is uh, the, the the weekly trad session. And um, um, I thought, well, uh, it'll be great to get uh, some of the guys here involved in the uh, in the project and. Um, uh, the, the the guys were, were very enthusiastic. Stephen Powell and Jacqueline McPhee, Pele Soderstrom from um, County Sweden, um, and <laughs> uh, and then uh, Rebecca Harkin um, were the, uh, uh, the, the the musicians. Idel um, also did some of the um, lilting. Uh, so um, yeah, there were a couple of other musicians as well. Tig. Um, from Perth and and um, uh, the, the the Healy brothers, um, so yeah, uh, it, it was a, a bit of a all Australia effort. I'd imagine the uh, the reception was was pretty positive all around. Um, it was great, and it was actually um, surprisingly that this uh, is available in Ireland. The um, uh, radio, ABC Radio, is not um, geo blocked. So, um, great. Uh, yeah, we, we, particularly in Drada, because um, there's um, big love for um, John Boyle O'Reilly in, in Drada. And um, so uh, there was, uh, yeah, a lot of nice comments came, came from uh, Drada. And if you if you wouldn't mind, uh, could we have another tune from from that recording session? What do you fancy listening to? Um, I think the last rose of summer um, was a, a beautiful song, and um, it's beautiful beautifully sung by uh, Jacqueline, who is also a, a fantastic harpist and also accompaniment accompaniment by uh, Pele on on guitar. Lovely. Let's have a listen to that. And then I'd love to actually, as anyone that listens to this podcast regularly knows, I love speaking about Drogheda. So let's, let's go back there for a bit after we listen to this. Tis the last rose of summer left blooming
Where thy mates of the garden lie scentless and dead. Brilliant. Thanks, Enda. So you're a Drogheda man. That's right. Drogheda till yeah. I die. All right. Let's, let's get into that a bit. What's that like? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so do, take me back. You go, whereabouts in Drogheda did you go up? So, yeah, on the north side, um, uh, not far from the, the Magdalen Tower. I, I enjoy telling Australians that um, when I was young I, I woke up and looked out the window and there was a, a, a tower there which um, figured in uh, Irish history in, in 1200 um, so um, apart from the blackfellas there's um, no Irish uh, there's, sorry, there's no white history in Australia going back before 1788 so um, uh, yeah uh, draw a very uh, historical place and and um, uh, good place to to grow up did you did, did you like growing up in Drogheda well um I don't know it's a difficult question when you don't have anywhere else to compare it to but um it was a tough place yeah it was a tough place to grow up um I had a big very big family one of um uh, 14 kids so right. um there wasn't a lot of money and as time goes on you realize actually you were pretty poor, and um, uh, so that yeah, that was that was um, pretty tough. Um, but um, we made our own amusement. Was he? Did you have a musical family at all? Like you said, your mum played piano before. Yes, uh, my mum played piano. Um, my dad didn't have a note in his head, as my mum <laughs> said. Um, and um, I, I suppose uh, one of the biggest influences was being number 12 out of uh, 14 kids, uh, you know, growing up in the 60s. Um, so I had lots of older brothers 
uh, and sisters, and many of them were into uh, music, into the the, the Beatles, um, and they would buy records, and uh, you know we we'd listen to them. So um, we, uh, you know, probably the first movie that I went to see that wasn't uh, a, a movie that the Christian Brothers brought us to about the life of Jesus, but one of the first regular movies I went to see the first was help um you know the the, the Beatles and yeah, so yeah. um yeah that was was um very um influential on on uh, my upbringing so did you pick up an instrument when you were a young fella um I um uh, played played a bit of uh bass I played. I started playing guitar and just taught myself guitar playing, um, uh, you know, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, but that, probably around seventeen, eighteen. But um, um, then started um, getting interested in uh, punk and uh, played. Uh, um, I suppose I um, I was in a band, um, as was everybody, but um, I. I had a, an idea that um, you you had to have musical talent to get on the stage, which was completely incorrect. Um, <laughs> looking back, you had to entertain. That's what I realised. So yeah. I was in a band called the Baldy Scaldies, but I left before they 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 performed. But um, they uh, went down in history um, as as being a very enter- band entertaining band. Yes, um, and. Uh, uh, yeah, as time went on, I realised that uh, probably curating music is probably more my my thing rather than uh, performing. So you were involved in uh, setting up the, the the boxing club as a as a bit of a venue for live music. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking it's uh, it's almost um, forty years um, since uh we organized the first gig in the in the boxing club and um the um uh, impetus for that was um a, a, on the 14th of january in uh sorry 14th of february in dublin in 81 um the stardust um fire happened and um, I felt very close to it because I had uh, been there exactly a month before, 14th of January, for a gig wow. with the specials and the beat. And um, that was at the Stardust. And um, and then uh, one month So just later, for anyone that doesn't know what happened with the Stardust, um, so, and could you just explain what, what, what... Also, yeah, there was a Valentine's Day disco and um, uh, the, the, the Stardust was a converted factory um a very dodgy um dance hall uh, the the um the, the, there was a fire um when this uh, disco was uh, happen- happening was taking place and um 49 young people died um and it was a local kind of disco so uh, uh, almost all of those young people were from the immediate area in um is it Kulak? um in 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 central um uh dublin um yeah. and so it was a uh, dreadful dreadful um event um so i didn't realize it i didn't actually realize that it was in 81 so like whatever whatever many years forward like when i started going to discos in like mid 90s like 
can still see my dad and hear my dad telling me to like know where the exits are make sure you're checking the place out so that like just that the idea that that happened in 81 and then still like 15 years later it's that it's still resonating that um hard with my parents to to yes. leave to be safe it must have just shook everyone well, to uh, yes core. i think uh, and um it, it it you know there were there were um uh, stories that um uh, reverberated there were um allegations that um fire exits exits had been locked and um then there was a lot of um uh, bad feeling because um the uh, people who who owned and run the venue um you know were that whether they had taken responsibility for it so it was a, a dreadful event um and and um in uh Drogheda we ran a um a fundraiser for the um uh families of the of the stardust and that was the first uh gig that I was involved in and um that took place in the boxing club in uh Drada, which became um a, a, a very famous uh, well known venue uh, pretty much in the in the mid and late 80s pretty much anybody who was anybody uh, on the Irish scene played at the boxing club a, Can you do us a favor cuz you know the boxing club was around just before I was on the scene, so I missed it. Can you like paint a picture for me? Like, what, like I only know the space as the linen hall, so like I've got, I've got, I've actually got no idea what it was like. Yeah, so the boxing club was very um, low-fi. It was a, a very basic uh, hall and um, up uh, run by uh, the the, um, uh, the 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 local boxing club, and um, it was very low very low roof um and um uh very basic um uh, very much local uh, a local place to hang out um and but, like it was a boxing ring right was it was it like an, a real boxing ring yes there was a boxing ring um uh, at at the very beginning um which became the stage uh for for the, right. for the bands um and it had a capacity probably um you know, maybe uh, two two hundred, um, probably two fifty at a at a squeeze, but um, very basic um, and um, but but became a very popular uh, spot on the uh, Irish touring scene for um, uh, local and and indeed uh, international uh, some international bands. Um, so you, you you had yeah pretty much everybody you know moving hearts. Hot house flowers, um, uh, lots and lots of, of of Irish bands played there. So, what was the um, the first night like? Was that just did did the uh, owner of or the operator of the venue have any idea that of what you were you were you were trying to no and put and, on? and um, um, I, I um, you know was looking back some. Uh, notes that have have written about it over over the years and um uh there was very much a kind of us and them uh vibe at at the time because we were uh young and um uh, we felt that there was a um you know the old old people were um running draught and and um uh we wanted to 
um, get stuff organised and get stuff happening. And um, so, no, the, the 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 people that ran the the boxing club at the time didn't really know what we, what we were um, proposing. But uh, the first gig was um, eight local bands, uh, so it's kind of a lot of punk new wave and um, a few kind of older blues bands in in Drada at the time. Um, but um, it um, it was it was very successful. Really, uh, once once that happened, we uh, myself and a, a group of um, guys and girls in in Drada um, got together and kind of formed a co-op, and we were called the New Musical Society, and it, it was um, a, a pretty interesting time. I think uh, there were. There was another kind of music co-op in in Waterford and um, in Dundalk. Actually, a bit later on, a couple, couple of guys got together and started organising their own uh, gigs and uh, you know putting on bands, local bands, and then bringing in international um, bigger bigger bands. Um, so and then, yeah, look, I was going to ask: Is that what a co-op? Is that what a music co-op does? Is like is, is was it? Is it kind of like a? Is it a co-op way of doing like a touring agency or a record label? Like, what what was your what was your mission? Um, well, we were punks. We were anarchists. We we did whatever we wanted. Um, <laughs> we we you know we, I suppose um, you know we were putting on new wave discos and um, then we opened up a um, uh, a club in uh, which which happened every Saturday night um, and um, we it was. Um, like I, I remember um, DJing and looking out on the dance floor, the slow set, and there was uh, boys dancing with girls, and there was boys dancing with boys, and that didn't happen, you know, in nineteen eighty. Uh, that was eighty three. Um, yeah. That didn't happen at other dance halls in in um, in Drawd, and I don't think it happened. You know, talking to people later on, um, it, it it wasn't something that happened in in in, in rural Ireland. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was, um, something that I'm very proud of. Um, but no, we, we were interested to put on gigs and then we got in touch with, um, promote MCD, Dennis Desmond in, um, in Dublin, who would kind of put us on our, um, on, on the roster for his bands. So, um, yeah, that pretty, pretty soon, um, we the, the the fact that it was a good gig and every Saturday night you'd get like 150 200 people um, show up. Uh, hey, rain or shine, didn't, you know, didn't really matter exactly who was playing. There was an, an audience there, and and um, yeah, they they, they um, it's kind of um, it it was a, uh, a very exciting time, and people remember yeah, it fondly. Sure. Because I think so. For me, coming up after you, that like the, the boxing club is legendary. So it was, it was, it was just seen to be the place for live music. And it just, to be honest, and I'm sure I'm going to piss someone off by saying this, but there, there was no real music, like particularly live music, joint in Drogheda in all the time I was there. Then, like you had, like McPhail's would have had gigs on, but it was that kind of old school like maybe what you were annoyed with it was just it felt like it was the old the old kind of crew had that sewn up and it, like it didn't feel like young kids if you had a band where where are you going to get a gig there might be like a a small gig at 
McFarland or something. Man Fridays was and Crusoe's was really providing a a great like nightclub alternative like scene, but there was no live music and it, it, it looking back on it, it killed me and like. When I got into DJing, then like myself and do you, do you know Andy Carney? Yes, Andrew Carney. Yes, I know. Yeah, I've never met Andrew, but I I have spoken to him. Yes. Yeah, well, like we we started DJing and stuff in the like late nineties, and then like just as I was leaving, he myself and him were coming up with a lot of kind of different approaches to try and see could we get some kind of even like set up a rave that wasn't an illegal rave or do something. Andy Andy went on to to make um a thing called external sounds which put on a lot of outdoor parties and stuff around like Tony Hall and just other other venues just to to give young upcoming producers and DJs and himself somewhere to to play so sorry this is me going back to like knowing that the the boxing club is such a, a legendary it stood in such legendary status the the other thing I, I actually found really interesting that I hadn't known about was the dance factory that you were a that it, was, it existed and that it had been set up as like an answer to the hacienda or something like that is that true well yes it, um so that when i mentioned about the nightclub that was the the dance factory which had a nod oh, okay, yeah, a yeah. nod towards the the hacienda nod nod towards the um uh, the, 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 I think it was another factory in Leeds or um Danceteria. Uh, anyway where Mark Almond from Soft Cell was um mm-hmm. uh, worked in the, the cloakroom. But um uh, it was it was very much about uh you know young people uh wanting to organise stuff and wanting to um uh, provide entertainment and um I you know I think that um, it was certainly a time in Ireland um, uh, where you know it was still very a very conservative place, and it was difficult to um, uh, get stuff organised. And and um, I suppose um, uh, not long after that, I I, I went um, to uh, London and. Um, uh, you know, part of that was just just feeling uh, a little bit constricted by the, um, uh, the society. Irish society at the time was very, very conservative, and um, you know, if you think about, um, uh, you know, condoms were illegal, and uh, you know, when you look back, it's it's hard to believe, but um, uh, we we were still um, a, a church-run state. Before we move and have another tune and maybe talk about your time in London, can I just ask where was where was traditional music in all of this? Ah, uh, so traditional traditional music um, in in Drada was um, at Carberry's pub, um, which which then became kind of a, a focus for um, uh, traditional music and um, new music. There were a couple of gigs out the back, um, but. Um, at the time, um, you know, are you do, paying attention? Uh, yes, um, you know, I do um, count um, uh, seeing the Botty Band in um, the Fail and the Boina um, uh, in um, uh, when would that be in '78? Um, seeing Paul Brady um, and um, 
uh, thinking, you know, this is this, uh, this is amazing stuff. Um, however, I suppose um, uh, the 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 um, uh, week in week out, um, uh, what do we call them? The Valdunicans in um, Carberry's at the time. <laughs> Um, there was yeah. there was a quite there was a bit of needle between the um, uh, you know people that were into trad and and um, the uh, what we'd call I suppose new wave uh, what, what kind of music we were into. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think we should listen to next? Yeah, um, there was there was uh, a Joy Division song from um but I, I don't know the uh the title of it off the top of my head but um uh there was a um a nightclub in Bebas uh what used to be Bebas in in Shop Street uh which was run by uh Roger Riley and and um Mary Roden and pretty um, sure that's where my mum and dad met possibly um I'm pretty sure um, my dad listens to this. He'll he'll let me know if I got it wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so a tune that that I really liked from around that time um, was a local band Exile in the Kingdom, and um, they had a, a tune called uh, Freedom, and um, this was um, notable because it was on um, John Peel, and um, showed um, that there was. Uh, talent in in Drada that was uh, recognised, and the only the other thing for me was um, that um, I made a, a video clip uh, for Exile in the Kingdom uh, for that song. So that kind of was at the beginning of um, when I uh, was starting to get interested in filmmaking. Exile in the Kingdom was um, uh, Joe McCormick, um, Gavin Kieran's um uh, Ho- uh John Hodgins and um a singer um whose name escapes me but I'll think about it later no worries thanks so much Ender let's have it Thank you. 
Well, that, I wasn't expecting to hear a uh, a band from Drogheda from that time when we had this chat. So thanks so much for that. And uh, yeah, uh, Tony Conaghy was the, the 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 singer. Baz Quinn was was also a, 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 a bass player around that time, and and then of course the uh, Mickey Marlin. Um, who was one of the um, uh, instigators and came up with the um, uh, French dead French philosopher um, uh, connotation for the uh, title of the band? I think that's a Nietzsche, is it? Exile in the Kingdom, a Nietzsche book. Nietzsche book. Um, but um, uh, Declan Mullen was responsible for a lot, a lot of good stuff in um, in Drada over the years. It's funny, like I don't I don't know any of the, the people that you mentioned, but. I know, I know someone with the surname of each one of those people you just mentioned, and it's 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 weird. I maybe just hearing it in your accent too. It's like hearing the names of ghosts or like memories. It's it it it's so funny that those names are so strong in in Drogheda. Like are they, to me, they just seem like particularly strong Drogheda names. Um, that's more of a statement than a question. <laughs> So you said you, you left Drada in, was it 84? I, I actually spent, um, 84 I went to the States and worked on a summer camp. A um, uh, bunch of kids from um, uh, uh, Brooklyn, Stuyvesant and Brooklyn. And um, uh, I, 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 I was um, uh, really um, uh, impressed with, the, uh, at the time, there was a lot of breakdancing. It was kind of time of... of um, uh, Africa Bombata and, and Zulu Nation and um, yeah. you know uh, we would listen to um, uh, Run DMC and um, uh, yeah it was it was uh, really um, exciting time so I spent the summer in in in, um, in in upstate New York and then came back to uh, Drada and then the next year um, went to London in eighty five. I can I can imagine why you why you left again. That's a it's a hell of an experience to come back home to then go. Oh my god! I, I need to do something bigger, different. Is that like is that why you left? Like we had kind of just charged to to go and to be. Yeah. Look. Um. I, I think. Uh, uh, there there was a, a kind of a, a feeling that. Um, uh, I needed to get away personally. I needed to get away from um, from from um, my family. You know, the big family, and um, uh, I think personally, I, I I needed to put a distance between them and me. Um, re- really, you know, more about just being um, uh, independent and and. Um, um, you know, rather than it wasn't that there was any bad things happening. It's just I needed a bit of space. Um, yeah, and um, uh, also, you know, I had trained as a as a scientist in uh, uh, in Trinity, but um, uh, I had no interest in in that. So um, I'd started um, doing a, a, a an angle course actually in filmmaking, and um, I was bitten by this filmmaking bug. So. Um, I went to London also, um, a, a very good friend, Maureen Finn, who was in London at the time, so uh, ex-girlfriend, so that was, it, it was all, um, it all kind of uh, came together. And then when you went to, 
London, did you did you have something set up or did you just kind of chant your arm and, and look for work when you got there? No, this was uh, 1985, so things were very rough. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the um, economy was pretty shit. Um, and um, I had um, uh, started doing a little bit of writing for the um, local paper and um, I um, wrote some articles for Hot Press, um, the Irish music magazine um, in, in London. But um, I, I had a, a cousin, Sean O'Hagan, who was in a band called Micro Disney. And so there was a bit of a network there with, um, uh, with squats and um, also um, Mickey Mallon, uh, who, who was also um, over there squatting at the time. So um, that n- squat network... Uh, was something that uh, I just plugged into, and um, it's pretty good time. I I started um, uh, s- studying. I got a a, a master's uh, course in um, St Martin's um, School of Art for the princely sum of one pound, uh, thanks Kidding. to Ken Ken Livingstone and and the, um, um, the, the great GLC Greater London Council at the time. So. Yeah, um, it was it was a good time to be unemployed in London. And were you pretty? You're, like I know you were in the squat scene, but was that predominantly still kind of the the punk uh, scene, or were we what other music's kind of taking hold as well? Um, so Irish squat scene was um, uh, yeah with, with um, bands like uh, Micro Disney, Five Go Down to the Sea from from Cork, um, but um, there, there were. Um, there were there were squat venues um probably before um the rave so um the kind of a abita summer uh, summer of love in in 87 um a lot of the music um moved over uh to to kind of club and and rave but um uh yeah 85 when i went over to london it was um i was mostly involved with um kind of new wave rock music yeah so so did you did when you mentioned that beat and stuff is that like the summer of love is that something that you were involved with when you're in london like that kind of summer of love stuff um it it it, it, it was um uh, from the point of view of uh, you know just um, uh, living in um, in London at the time, and um, I just happened to um, be hanging out with people who were uh, quite uh, in into that um, scene of, of early clubs and and um, uh, and and then um, uh, the uh, early rave scene so um yes it, it was something that i was uh, aware of but it, it very quickly became uh, very commercial in london so it was a couple of years later when i uh, began to get involved with the free party scene and the uh, the, um, uh, the 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 the, the uh, parties moved out into the countryside, um, uh, and I started working with um, sound system crews. Um, yeah, that was uh, a, a kind of a, a follow-on from uh, the early years when 
there there were um, warehouse parties. Um, so, um, you know, f- first warehouse parties that would have been would have been um, people about, like Soul to Soul, which were kind of um, mm-hmm. uh, reggae, almost reggae sound clash type of um, gigs, um, but. You know, went on all night. And they sold red striped lager, Jamaican lager. So, um, you know. And what were you, what were you doing? What were you doing for? What, how were you, how were you involved in the sound systems? What, what kind of work were you doing? Um, so I became a um, VJ, or so I was uh, doing uh, film projections. Um, so we're kind of moving forward to kind of early nineties, um, doing um, film projections and, and video projections at um, uh, outdoor. Um, F- free parties um yeah so uh, uh i work with a, a, a sound system crew from nottingham called uh, diy uh, who were involved with uh kind of political activism as well as um uh, music so um the, the, there was a um uh, a, a, uh, an attempt by the, by the um, British government at the time to legislate against techno um, because these mm-hmm. parties were happening and they were kind of felt they were losing control. Um, so parties were happening in, in the countryside and um, the, um, uh, the, the, the government um, introduced a, a law which um, uh, tr- attempted to ban, and the, the wording was uh, music characterized by the emission of repetitive beats. So um, that was the wording that they used. But um, it uh, no Baron players. Uh, sorry, did you say the Baron players? I said n- no Baron players. No Baron. <laughs> no. Um, but didn't they make like they, they made it illegal to like spontaneously? gather and yeah like so part as part of that legislation um it, you know there, there there were um uh, uh, laws against um i think the number was 12 12 people gathering in in one place so you know these were pretty heavy duty uh in in terms of uh human rights and and there was potential for those uh, kind of laws to be used uh for for um you know uh, um Quashing political dissent, and and so yeah, of course, um, you know there, there were there were quite interesting allegiances between um, uh, civil liberties organisations and and um, ravers. Uh, so it was uh, interesting time. We there was also a um, element of um, the uh, traveller um, uh, culture in um, England, which had come out of the, the kind of um the the, the free the, the the festivals and free fe- free festivals um uh, and um uh, things like stonehenge festival um which um uh, were um again kind of closed down by the by the police because they had um links with um green greenham common and the anti-nuclear um, uh, movement. So, yeah, there were yeah. all kinds of, <laughs> lots of conspiracy theories. Um, but, yeah, in, ge- in general, um, you know, some some of the laws that were introduced to um, stop uh, travel travellers um, were, were, were very discriminatory from the point of view of, um, a, you know, a... a 
um, a culture that had existed for many, you know, generations in in England and also in Ireland, which is you know traveling, um, the, the traveling community um, was um, uh, criminalized, and so uh, you know this was at the same time that uh, squatting was um, criminalized uh, by by Thatcher. So um, a lot of kind of um, avenues of for, of expression for young people were being uh, closed down. Yeah, um, have you ever have you read? Um, there's a book I'm trying to remember the name of the author. It's called um, Altered States. Yes. Have you have you read it? I have. It, 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 oh, it's it, Jay oh, Stevens. Well, yes, that that I think is an absolute cracking read. I really got into when I when I was into techno and dance music in a big way. I really get into the the history, particularly that kind of '87 to like I don't know '95. And that period of when, you know, as you said, squat parties, you had the oh, right. the, the t- free dance movements, and then you had like with the drugs that came in as well, and then how the the well, exactly we just you spoke about the book deals with the legislation that came in place to deal with the dance music, but it was the 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 potential for it to then be used to suppress a whole swathe of people. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. There's another one too, which I really just adored back then. Jeez, I need to go back and read some of those books because yeah, actually, uh, I'm wrong. My bad. I'm, I'm think Jay Stevens' his book, uh, "Storm in Heaven," which is about kind of um, history of psychedelics. Um, but um, all the states, all the states, I should look that one up. Yeah, there was um, there's one called um, "Adventures in Wonderland," but it it kind of just it it deals with the political end of it but it's only part of the kind of the broader picture where Altered States looks at the that dance movement and the free party movement and in and and particularly then the the political side of it and the the actions taken by the British government. Once again, I I'm trying to make this podcast not about techno. So let's go back. Um what is happening with you with Irish music during this period? Has it kind of really stunk its claws in yet or it, it still hasn't got you at this stage um no i I would not have uh, mixed a lot with the irish community in um when i was in uh, london and uh, i moved to coventry um and uh was that by choice or design or um chance um well actually i got work a real job as my mother would call it with the city council in in coventry uh running a um a youth arts center so at that point i was uh paid as a, as a video maker which was um uh, which was really good um so um i think at the age of 30 yeah i got a real job um, yeah. so um uh, you know, no, I would have. Uh, at that time, I was I was very interested. I uh, made a, a documentary with um, reggae sound systems because um, that was one of the things in Coventry, and that um, was um, a, a really rich uh, culture, uh, uh, which I was uh, involved with. So I started putting on um, gigs with um, kind of club raves and. Uh, um, Working with um, a sound system, so if you wanted to hire a PA uh, for for an all night party, um, you went to the um, reggae sound system guys, and um, mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, they, they would 
provide you with a, a sound system and, and um, uh, would carry on playing right through the night. So that was the way to I'm go. I'm jealous, man. When I, when, I, when I moved to Australia, I lived in Sydney for a year and then I ended up studying um, audio production in, in Brisbane. And straight away I fell in with a sound system up there who would, for all intents and purposes, was trying to recreate those glory days of the those Jamaican sound systems, um, a company by the name of Mega Blast. So we used to, well, it sounds like I used to do a lot of the same kind of stuff you do, big free parties um, out in the middle of nowhere, raves that went on for multiple days on end. But it, for me it was always, like I knew what we were doing wasn't, wasn't the original it wasn't the like we were harking back to a a, a memory it's funny because i wanted to make a segue later on about irish music and all of this and now i'm finding myself doing it within within dance music and techno like so in, in the mid early to mid 2000s i was definitely involved with sound systems and putting on parties how they would have been perceived to have been put on around the orbital roundabout for example like that's that's what people are trying to recreate and it's funny to think with Irish music how we kind of we have these tunes and we have traditionalists or people that want tunes played a certain way because that's the way it's always been played and I kind of often find that a lot a lot of this stuff is just kind of it comes out from it it's it there's no there's no real there's no real original this is it a lot of it is uh is just kind of trying to recapture a a special moment in time right does that make sense well, I, I think um, uh, that the, the bush stuffs in Australia are certainly a, 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 um, a genre, um, uh, and and um, they take elements of um, uh, you know British the sound systems and and the, um, British um, rave scene, free party scene. So um, uh, when you're talking about r- Re, re re remixing um that's a whole other area but um i think um uh the 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 bush duff scene is um you know doesn't um uh it's not a pale recreation of of anything it's it's its own thing um and, yeah. and um um you know it's just another so, um another I'll, t- I'll tell you why this is so i'll tell you why this is so top of mind for me so and I know I shouldn't be bringing up a, you know what, because this is this is big, and I don't want to cut it short because I, I want to make sure we fit in a tune. Do, do is there a um, is there another tune from the um, the convict ship project that you'd like to play? And then when I come back, I want to I'll pick up from where I'm I am here, and I'll I'll show you the analogy, and I want to speak about the uh, secret my family secret recipe documentary that you made. Yeah, so um, a, um, a, again, one of the uh, songs from the uh, last um, uh, songs, the last convict ship, um, is a song called um, "Net of the Hill," uh, which is better uh, better known Eamon and Knick, um, and it, it's a song that um, uh, goes way back to before the um, the flight of the earls and. Um, it's it's a, a song that commemorates a an earlier Ar- Irish rebellion, um, and um, I first heard it 
because um, the Pogues sang a song, um, A Man You Don't Meet Every Day, and um, it's pretty much the uh, Eamon and Knick um, rehashed. So um, Jacqueline McPhee did a beautiful version on the on the harp. Brilliant. Thanks for that. And uh, let's have a listen to that and then we can pick up on the other side. so much for that and uh, so to pick up where i i left off with, with drawing that analogy and why why it's so kind of fresh in my mind is a couple of weeks back or maybe even a couple of months back you had sent me a a documentary that you made um 
from memory, it's called my family secret recipe. I've got the name right. Uh, secret family recipes. Yeah. Secret family recipe. And first of all, thank you so much for that. And I'll put, I'm going to put a show in the show notes for for other people to watch because I've, I honestly believe it's it, a must watch. I got so much from it. There's um, I think and uh, don't take me the wrong way, but when I first stuck it on, I kind of thought this is going to be. Oh, it's going to pull on my heartstrings because of because I'm from Drogheda and there'll be familiar things that kind of will will just you know tug on that uh, homesick part of me, which I, I have been particularly homesick this year. But it just kind of gave me so much more, and the, to kind of link it back to what I was speaking about the recreating and traditionalist. And look, there is going to be a spoiler here, but I think. Well, if you don't want the spoiler, maybe skip ahead a couple of minutes. But um, the spoiler is that you know, you know when. So first of all, for anyone that's still here, the, um, maybe and if you could explain what the documentary is about, and then I'll, I'll I can kind of take 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 you to the point that I want to speak about. Okay, so um, um, I, I started a PhD. I'd, I'd done an MA in London, and I, I started a PhD in. Um, uh, 2009 uh, in in Sydney and um, um, the the um, PhD was in the area of uh, documentary and and cultural studies so I was interested in the um, kind of experience of being a migrant and I wanted to explore what um, connection I had with um, a place where I came from and and with my family and um, with my community and um, I Set about um, making a um, a documentary. Um, I accompanied my mum while she made a cake. She was um, a very enthusiastic cake maker, and um, uh, over the course of making the documentary, I spent I spent a year in Ireland. When, so, um, two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, and uh, with my um, Australian. Uh, then wife and um, two two kids who were then four and two and um, uh, uh, I left um, Ireland in July and my mum passed away in September. Um, so oh, wow. in um, in putting the um, the documentary, which which was you know I then edited, um, it it actually uh, um, was a period of grieving for uh, my mom and and, and so um the the documentary uh, i think the, uh, the figure of of um my mom became quite a, a, a dominant um uh, feature of of the documentary so um yeah it's kind of uh, a fly on the wall um uh, v- uh, experience of of um, baking the the Christmas cake with with my mum. When I when I came back to Australia, I baked another cake with my daughters. There was a bit of um, a, a, um, a disaster, but um, uh, made for good um, good footage. And um, yeah, that was the that was the that was the, that was the uh, uh, documentary. Such a sweet movie. You get such a a, a love. Your your mum in it. Not, only you'll be able to kind of understand how close it was of a representation of your mum. But I, I loved who I was presented with on on the screen. Oh, thank you very much. 
much much appreciated yep and and i actually i hadn't i didn't know the um the second part of the the story that you had said that, that your mum had just passed away post making it i don't think I, I i knew that so um that kind of makes it land in a, in a, in a kind of different place as well the so I, i'm i was completely sucked in and and I, i'm a big fan of kind of flying the wall anyway and i loved how you kind of split things out but towards the end when when your mum drops the bombshell that she'd picked up the, this this particular recipe that she was making from from Dunn's or from wherever it was just like it was it was a recipe that she was using as a base to to you know put all the rest of the learnings in i think maybe because i was primed so you know the bit i'm talking about yeah i do yes yeah so maybe maybe cuz you know you, you you bring you bring your own prejudice into these things in your own experiences so when i was sitting down to watch it i was very much in in thinking about the podcast thinking about music thinking about tradition and looking whether it was there or not but looking at the um at the documentary as a, a bit of an analogy for traditional irish music too and kind of this this tradition that we we, we keep alive and we pass on from person to person to person and it kind of when 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 the moment happens when your mum points to the piece of paper and she says, "No, I just grabbed this one from the supermarket," and you kind of are in the shot and you're kind of going, "Oh, what?" So like it was that moment of this is not this is not the source yeah. for a, for a split moment, and I had this, and I loved it because it flipped because I was kind of disappointed for you and I was kind of felt like, "Oh, is that?" Is is that is 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 that going to be the the climax of all of this? But then it turned around because I I have this with music the whole time that we often think that we're recreating a very special thing in our in our minds, right? Because you give it the extra, you're giving it the weight of all of the extra things that are around it, right? So the you're giving it its grandeur and its its meaning through your own experience with it. So in that moment there was a point for me i felt that that could have been an issue or a non-issue and the reaction to that validates the that instance in the first place so what i mean by that is that if if it's music for instance right if i played you a beautiful piece of music and then you hear from me again i I teach it to you and it's and and it sounds like it's great and then i say oh i got it from a well an example a real life example would be um the Barlow Knife tune, which I know, which is an American all-time tune. It's from a commercial, but it's a lovely tune. It still gets played everywhere. But it's almost like it doesn't matter what the, that kind of source is because the, the, the tradition is not really the source itself. It's really the, the passing on of the knowledge and everything else that surrounds it. It's a pretty big kind of thought that I'm trying to convey and I, I, hopefully I'm doing it some justice. I, Mm. what was your feeling and what is your feeling and then with regards to the music when your mum when your mum revealed that that particular recipe that she was teaching that the documentary was on was yeah, now so, being maybe pulled from it um the, the, the um uh, I, I suppose one of the things that I was um thinking about was uh, the experience of migration and um thinking back and um remembering things and 
um, to go back to somewhere where you grew up, um, you know, after uh, 30 years and um, to um, try and work out what, uh, what, what, what makes you tick and what um, were the things that um, uh, made you who you are, um, it, it, to, to a, a large degree, you, you're working off um, memory, and uh, memory can be can be very deceptive. So, um, I suppose one of the things as time goes on uh, is that I realise, you know, gr- growing up, uh, I have many rosy tinged memories of of growing up, but it it actually was pretty tough and um, uh, tough um, from point of view of um, being such a huge family and. Um, uh, you know why on earth do, do, do people have fourteen children? Um, can they devote enough time to each child? Um, so things like um, probably um, uh, when when I was younger, I, I, I wouldn't have um, approached my mum and asked her uh, questions. And that I asked her in the documentary, like, did you enjoy sex? Is that why you had 14 children? And um, I had to take that bit out because um, she wouldn't answer and told me, oh, you don't ask questions like that. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, uh, my mum was 90 and um, uh, if ever I was going to find answers to quest- questions, it was then. Um, so in, in a way... Um, uh, the the the, uh, uh, the the fact that um, you know my mum was baking a cake and I thought it was a, a, a recipe that had been passed down through the family for ages and no she it was a, a recipe that she'd got in Dunn stores in a in in, in a leaflet um, so um, in in a way it was a commentary about the um, the the, the um, trusting of of the the memories that you've got and um sometimes um the the memories that you've got aren't um aren't, aren't very very accurate they're not based on um on on reality uh, the uh, based on um a, 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 you know a, 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 maybe a little bit uh, sentimental um and i think um uh, being a, 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 a well, the, the the thing that comes through for me is is just uh, the experience of migrancy and um, uh, that that experience of moving away from from where you grow grew up um, and um, the the fact that you know you you, you um, will have a, a great love for for where you've come from but uh, at the same time it, it's the place that pushed you out um, because um, you are, are not able to make a living or you're not able to live there and so there's this constant um, dichotomy which goes on in your head but you 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 you, um, you you love Ireland but at the same time there's um, a part of you that uh, resents the fact that you are the, the the emigrant so I was trying to capture some of that were you are those kind of questions around migration and identity were were they things that were bubbling away for you for a while like when did you realize that you needed to kind of almost grieve for where you came from 
and and deal with this kind of stuff? Oh, it's it, it's something that um, uh, comes with, with wisdom and experience over over the years. But you know, some like um, in a way. Um, you know, I, I got interested in uh, sound systems and and um, in 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 Coventry. I also, you know, was was interested and in, made a program with about Bangra, um, Indian um, uh, uh, music that you know, tried traditional Indian music. And um, I, I'm, I'm constantly um, in Sydney. One of the the, the great things is is um, you know, meeting people from from different cultures on a, on an equal basis, and um, you know, so f- for for me, my my trad, you know, encompasses all of this um, all of this music um, that I've uh, you know listened to down over the years. It's not it's not just Irish music, um, and I probably yes, yeah, the realization that you know you, you you have more in common. I have more in common with um, you know my my mates from from Cambodia or um, Greece than than I do have with the, the the people who I grew up with in Ireland because you know at this point I've spent a lot a lot more time out of Ireland than 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 in Ireland so. Um, yeah, it's something that um, I think over the, over the years has uh, um, become apparent to me. Do you do you class yourself as Irish or Australian now? Oh, <laughs> when they take the butcher's apron off the flag, um, then I'll uh, consider myself Australian. But no, not not. Um, I have a lot of um, you know. I'm uh, definitely uh, Irish. Um, you know, I, re- I I I I'm very disappointed uh, with the the last referendum where where, where they turned down um, the um, uh, chance of of a republic. Um, the um, uh, unfortunately, I, th- I think the politics in Australia is, is you know g- going the other way. Um, so and the re- the reason I no the reason I ask that is like not even from a political point of view but from, I mean like if, if we were to try and set politics aside for a second and and think about the kind of this idea of who you are is a, an amalgamation of you know just pure genetics and then where you, the condition you grew up in and we've been talking about looking back at this idea of like where we came from because like what you're saying, I have to first say it too. Is what you're saying is, it's like you're holding up a mirror to me as well, right? So I, I, I completely understand what you're saying, but it's definitely kind of making me go. It makes me kind of question then when I, with no problem, say I, I feel like I'm Irish straight away. Where like I'm coming up to the date now where I'll be living in Australia longer than I lived in Ireland. Well, within within a few years. So that kind of plays in my mind. Like at what stage, what stage do I become? more Australian from a I'm talking more from a what's the word humanistic a, a cult, like not that being Irish means anything really or being Australian means anything but it's what I, I still strongly identify as being Irish do, do you know what I mean about like if we're, if we're kind of if we're going to pick at at the nostalgia and having rose tinted glasses of where we grew up does that does that mean that you also maybe start scratching at that same thing that is part of your identity of like is that is that part of the same makeup 
Well, I think that um, it, it, the, the, you, you're always, you've always got a question. Um, you know, you, the, the, the ideas that you've got and um, the attitudes you've got and, and um, think about why, why it is that you hold those um, opinions. And, um, you know, as time's gone on, I've, I've become more um, interested in, in evidence-based um, uh, theory. And, and, um, and so um, the, 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 uh, the accident of, of birth is, um, you know, that has uh, uh, affected me in some ways, but um, I... I, I I think I, I um, will probably try and be more objective um, about the, you know, the the the, um, um, the way that I, I look at things. Um, so I'm not sure if that answers the the, the question, but um, uh, you know, I, I would have to so, be uh, be a bit more cynical about um, the, the the sentimentalism and kind of. Um, you know, talking about um, uh, growing up in 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 Ireland and um, uh, in 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 a time where um, immigration was again, uh, you know, rampant and um, uh, the, the social the the, the, um, um, the uh, social landscape was was very conservative and and um, church ruled so. Um, mm-hmm. These, these are to, to me. These are facts. Another thing that I found interesting: uh, a, watching the documentary, but b, just kind of thinking about knowing that we we're going to chat today was the idea of. Well, it started off with the convict ships, and it started off with like you've got these people that are going all over the world, whether they're going as convicts or whether they're going as as uh, free travellers to other parts of the world, emigrating. And there was the old wakes that people would have because you know when people yes, jump on these ships, the that's wake. it, right? They they they're gone. Yep. And it was that de- definitely wasn't in my mind or my psyche when I started traveling in a way that that I needed that because I think as you're young, I don't know if it's a if it's a man thing, but that's all I can compare it to. But as a young man moving away, I I didn't have any regard for how it really would affect my my, my mum and dad or my brother. Uh, and then how that, particularly in the last while, how that has affected me because, yes, they lose me and, and you kind of think, yes, that, that's the way it's for the people that you leave behind. But there comes a time, and I'm sure, you, well, you did it with your mum, where you kind of realised that you've you've had to grieve for the for them because you've also missed them does that make sense like there's a there's another wake that kind of doesn't happen but happens over a long time it's a slow burn where you as the immigrant have to look back and and say goodbye over a long 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 time oh yeah i think you put your finger on it you know that uh, the the grieving um is something that takes place over a number of years um when one is a migrant because um there's always the possibility of of coming home um but um you know i think um for example the 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 time when uh, you leave after you've 
you know, you've been away for a while, you come home and then you're heading off again. Um, and at that point, you know that this is not just a a um, a, a jaunt overseas. Um, this is, you know, you, you, you're going back to your life. Um, and um, the, 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 um, uh, the, the grieving takes place over, over a period of time. Um, uh, what comes into my head is it's kind of like the, um, the, the, the when you when when you you're losing somebody through an through an illness and um, uh, you know you, you uh, in those situations where uh, the the person is given a, 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 a specific time that they they're going to live and and you know. You know, through, through cancer or whatever, and 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 there's a period that could be six months or a year where you you are um, becoming um, accustomed to to the to the fact that you're going to lose this person, and um, you know, I think um, the, um, the the story of, of of migration is is like that, and it's it's something that um, it happens over over years, um, and Are you. And, 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 Were you aware and he, when you left? So, sorry, and I beg your pardon. Go ahead. I'm just going to say um, uh, that um, uh, it, it's ongoing uh, as a, as a migrant. You know, like I've been um, uh, what 35 years out of uh, out of Ireland, and I still have um, kind of mixed the views. You know, I mentioned earlier about this um, love of of. Um, of the the uh, the good things um, uh, that that you associate with Ireland, but then there's also a, a, um, a resentment for you know having been the, uh, the 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 one who has to leave, and and uh, I think that um, is uh, uh, ongoing. See, for for me, the the realization that that was something that I need like it didn't happen for. Like the, the the actual realization, like there's knowing it, and then there's emotionally feeling it, and 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 understanding that you're you're going to need to process it. That for me didn't happen for years of being a, been away. Like I I knew I was away, but I didn't realize that it was a two way street. So for, like, do, do you know what I mean? Did it, did it? Did were you always aware of how? How painful it would have been for you to have left. I think um, so. I I spent um, ten years in uh, in England, and um, when one is in England, um, the uh, there's just a short trip home. So um, it's it's not the same as uh, as traveling twelve thousand miles to Australia, um, and you know the the, the realization that. Um, this is uh, uh, permanent. Um, so uh, um, initially, um, yeah, I, I probably wasn't thinking that that much about the longer term. But as as time's gone on, you get kids, and, and um, uh, you know, you you, you do uh, think about these things. And and um, like I suppose for me, um, this is where my kids are. So this is where I am. And um, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a kind of a um, uh, coming to terms with life and and the big 
the the the, the big moments of of life when you you know you lose your, the parents and then you realize that um uh, you, you don't have a lot of connections and that the connections you've got in your in your new um country are, are the stronger uh, connections so um it, it, it's something that um happens over a period of time it's funny i read uh like it's such a such a throwaway it's actually it's on reddit and there's a there's a subreddit called shower thoughts and essentially it's people just post a sentence of like something that came to them in the shower and it was one only about two weeks ago and it's just sat with me so heavily since then and it, it goes the family of your life the family that you die with is a completely different family than the family you started with which is i know that's a simple thought but that 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 stayed with me heavy for the last two weeks it's pretty big it is pretty big um to try and just grapple with it you kind of you have to just yeah admit to yourself that everyone that you know and love that you grew up with and not the people that's not your family when you're when you're finishing up with all of this life malarkey yeah it's um it it can be an arresting um experience the migration, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I don't want to end on, on such a downer note, but it's a, I, I, I'm just, I'm thinking for a moment just on where we started with the the uh, men from the, the Fenian Rising that were on that ship coming out that, you know, it's all well and good that and you and I have a, a bit of a philosophical yarn, but to have that kind of, to have that choice taken away from you and and there was no real option for them to go to go back home is um is pretty huge um, it absolutely is yeah and no, um uh, uh, you know kind of talking about john boyle o'reilly the um who came from doubt just outside drada and um uh i remember um reading his uh his escape from australia and and um, he went he went straight to america and uh, he 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 went via liverpool uh, he he went via a lot of places it's an incredible um story but um uh, there the, the, there was um uh, some riding that he did as the ship passed by the, the south coast of ireland and he could see the lights of uh, cork in the distance but he could not go home, um, and um, oh, wow. uh, I remember thinking, you know, that it was uh, personally it must have been a dreadful experience, um, to, you know, to um, uh, to be so close after being so far away, to be so so close to to home, and, and particularly to his mum um, was yes. was uh, who he was uh, thinking about, and um, not to be able to uh, see her. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of admiration for, you know, people who are able to, um, to you know, to, uh, do those things, have those experiences and, and, and come out the other side. Is, is there a book about his life? Um, there, there is a, a, a couple of books. Um, um, he, he was somebody who um, 
he became editor of the um, Boston Pilot, and um, he um, he continued to lobby for um, uh, universal rights rights in 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 America, and supported the um, cause of the black man, and um, uh, you know was a very uh, popular guy when when he um, finally passed away. So uh, you know he 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 was someone that um, uh, had. Made us made a success of his life in um, in America, and which was pretty remarkable considering you know that at twenty two he had been um, sentenced to death, and then was was then commuted to life imprisonment. Um, so yeah. remarkable, remarkable man. And uh, thank you so much for this afternoon. I've really enjoyed that. Um, for anyone that was interested in listening to the BBC also oh, the ABC um piece for the the convict ship song project that will be in the show notes I keep on pronouncing that wrong I've got the order wrong don't I say again the the order of the words there it's the is it the convict ship song the songs project? of the last convict ship the songs of I, the last I can hardly ship. remember it myself <laughs> you're not alone yeah my research page is over there. Anyhow, look, that will all be in the show notes down here. Um, and and for people that would are interested in more of your movie work, where can I send them? Uh, virusmedia.com.au, my website. Perfect. And then you you normally end up, uh, may, uh, your local session is at the Gala Club in Sydney, is that right? That's correct, yeah, on a Friday night. Well, and thank you so much. Maybe next time we have you back, I'm going to goad you into into singing some uh, Jinx Lennon. <laughs> I, would, I would be honoured, yes. Uh, so as customary, we would go out on one last tune. Um, what do you fancy? All right, well, um, there's song? a beautiful um, song on the um, uh, Songs of the Last Convict Ship, and... Um, it's uh, a cappella, and it's uh, Pele Soderstrom, um, who is a, um, originally from uh, County Sweden, as I said. But um, yeah, Pele um, singing uh, Goodbye, Sweetheart. Goodbye. Lovely. Thanks, Enda. Thanks a million, uh, Darren. Been um, great to, to chat, and uh, I hope I haven't bored your um, listeners to death. Not at all, man. Not at all. Like the time has flown past. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much, man. The bright stars fade. The morn is breaking. The dew drops pearl each bud and leaf. And I from thee my leave am taking. With bliss to breathe, with bliss, with bliss to breathe. How sings my heart with fond alarms, the tear is hiding in mine Time doth thrust me from thine arms. Goodbye, sweetheart, goodbye. 
Goodbye, sweetheart, goodbye. For time doth rust me from thine arms. Goodbye, sweetheart, goodbye. The sun is up, the lark is soaring. Loud swells the song of Chanticleer. The leveret bounds are her soft flowering. Yet I am here, yet, yet I am here for sin. Night's gems from heaven do fade, and morn to floral lips doth hide. I could not leave thee, though I said goodbye, sweetheart, goodbye. Goodbye, sweetheart, goodbye. I could not leave thee, though I said goodbye, sweetheart. It's interesting that the whole notion of of looking back with rose tinted glasses. Uh, there's a there's a Facebook page called Johanna Dern Memory Lane, and it, it never ceases to amaze me. Like and you see photographs from the eighties and the nineties, just how um how the place looked, or how like it's, it's somewhere that's so familiar, like it's it's ingrained in 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 my memory. It's part of my youth. Like my teens was like just hanging around the town. I'm sure every teen goes through it in their own town, and you kind of you have these memories, and you're you're so fond of them, and then like you don't you just don't remember the, the negatives, I suppose, whether it's through your your mind not allowing you, or that it's not relevant to your memory, so that you don't hang on to them. But when I go on and I see my photographs of um, draw it down memory lane, like there's some beautiful photographs on there. But the ones that always get me are kind of, are the ones that look are, are kind of down the river in Drogheda, so down at the Boyne, particularly at kind of like at the back the back of the Linden Hall. So the where Endium is talking about the boxing club is it's on the north side of the river, but it's right on the river, right? And there's quite a fancy bar there these days. Um, the flower there's a lot of flower was centered around. I forget what it's called now. Is it the hotel maybe? No, I don't think that's right. Anyhow, um, but it backs right onto the river, and on the other side of the river, where there's McDonald's now, the like there used to be a a service station, and you know it's a tidal river, so often you just we'd just be hanging at the back of the like at the back of the Drogheda Town Centre, where that fancy bar is now, right beside where the boxing club is, and that pub called the Linen Hall. We used to spend hours sitting down there smoking cigarettes, and it was 
I never think of it as being really industrial, but it was like it was really industrial, all like, and it was kind of um, vacant, like post-industrial. A lot of vacant buildings right on the water, um, in like off, kind of half falling down and in, in disrepair. The river was in a pretty bad way from memory back then too. Like it just, it was, it was, it was just dirty. It was there was a, like a lot of trolleys and everything in the in the actual water itself. And it's only when I kind of make myself think about it that I see those kind of negative bits. But when I think of it in my mind's eye, like it's great. Like it's just it's. It's a town I grew up in, and it's those rose-tinted glasses. It's uh, it's really nice to have a chat with someone that can kind of help bring all that into perspective because it is a bit of a it is heavy and it is a bit of a, a head a head fuck for but want of a better word when you live in another country and you've got this strange relationship with where you grew up because I think by the time I hit my late teens, like I actively fucking I hated Drogheda I just couldn't wait to get out of the place and how how that all kind of flips once you've once you grow up and once you I don't know maybe you start evaluating what you had and not appreciating actually what you had and having your own family and all that kind of stuff anyway uh and uh, thank you so much for that conversation I found that incredibly enriching so thank you uh make sure you go and check out the um the the ABC documentary the um, songs of the last convict ship I'll put a link in the show notes it's so well done and uh, it it's a riveting listen I remember when it came out people were going crazy about it over here um I'll make sure what I'll do is I'll probably I'll link it in the show notes and then in a day or two I might uh, just put up a, a post on its own because it deserves to have its its own post up there as well all right then look if you uh, got something from that and at the start of the show you went yeah Darren's right the uh, the patron is a good idea I'll be able to chip in and, and pay for someone else and pay for him to continue to make this then please head over to patreon.com forward slash Balarney Pilgrims as I said at the top it's only a small percentage of people that we expect to be able to chip in you know we, everyone can't chip in for all things but what I would love to see happen is for those people that can chip in to chip in which means everyone else listens for free so if you feel passionate about the project it's not a whole lot of cash we're looking for if everyone just puts in a tiny little amount it all adds up so uh we absolutely appreciate you doing that and if you can't chip in that's absolutely cool as i always ask particularly if, you, if you're in ireland or if you're in um england or america um, leave us a review uh, for some reason we've got loads of great reviews in australia so in australia itunes we've got fantastic reviews in there and and ratings but in ireland england and america we don't have half as many so if you're in one of those countries maybe that's what you could do this week that'd be really useful to go on to itunes and leave a little review give us a few extra stars but most of all tell someone about it right then i will catch you next week with another uh really interesting interview locked in i'm not going to tell you who it is but i'm excited about it all right we'll catch you then good luck this project is supported by the city of greater geelong through its covid19 arts culture and heritage recovery grants program anya baya up